open your Bibles with me, please, if you would. Genesis 6 and Matthew 24. As David said, beginning a series on people in Scripture, how God uses people. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. God uses good people. And God uses people that aren't so good. You know, you always think, well, God can't use me because of whatever. And he doesn't seem to care. I mean, he wants you to get your act together, right? He wants you to resist sin and clean your life up and all those things. But that doesn't mean that he can't use you and doesn't want to use you if you haven't quite got it yet. And you're going to find that all these people in Scripture that God used to do great things were, well, they were us. They were flawed. They had good days and bad days. And they were known as people that were sometimes good and sometimes not so good. So I hope that's encouraging to you. I know it is to me. So as, we, as I said, we'll look at Genesis chapter 6 first and then Matthew 24 later on. And look at the story of Noah and the person of Noah. And that's what I want to talk about today. I'm not going to talk about the chiefs. You've already done that. You will do that all day. Um, I have to go and watch. I have to. I get to go and watch the game with about 30 people. And I'll get to watch some of the game, I'm sure. The goal is to watch some of the game, to have a good time, and eat lots of food. And that's for me. So we'll do that. And I'm sure you'll do the same thing. Join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We live in a world that is troubled in every corner. And yet today, so many of us in our culture can focus on a football game. We thank you, Father. Not necessarily for football, but for the fact that we can relax. That we can enjoy some things like this. That we live in a culture where we are free and we can eat and sleep in safety. You have blessed us, Father, as no other. We thank you for that. We recognize that this great nation of ours is a gift from you. You have used our people, our sacrifices, and our hard work and labors in war to bring us peace and a good society. Thank you. Father, as we say that, though, we recognize that in this great nation of ours, we have problems. Serious problems in every way. We ask for mercy and forgiveness and your patience for where we have strayed from you. We have rejected your leadership in so many ways. We want you to bless us, but we resist obedience and we resist your word. Forgive us, Father. Cleanse us of our sin. We pray that you would work amongst our people. To bring revival and encouragement and, and hope in Christ. Give Christians boldness. Give us wisdom. We ask you would help us to give grace to others. Father, as always, we pray for those of power over us. We ask you would influence them for good. Give them wisdom and the ability to use their great powers for good and peace. We pray that our leadership could help us in our struggle against sin and crime 
and the declining family and all those things. We pray that we could use our great powers for peace on this earth. We pray that our leaders could work with other world leaders to bring peace in Israel and Palestine, Gaza, Ukraine. The list is endless. Help us, Father. As always, be with our soldiers, our first responders. Protect them where they serve. Use them to bring peace and justice wherever they are. Protect them. Comfort their families in their absence. Bring them home safely. We pray for those hostages in Gaza and their families. Give them peace. Protect them and bring them home. We know, Father, that all over the world there are those in horrible situations. Work as only you can to bring peace. Father, speak to us now. We look at your word and see these great people who did great things of faith. And you use people that were flawed. We pray, Father, that you would use us, people who are flawed, to serve you. Again, Father, we thank you for all these good things in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you know the story of Noah. And I thought I could read a couple of chapters of Scripture to you. And that's okay, but I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I'm going to use the children's video to kind of refresh your memory about some of the details of the story. Debbie? So part of God's story is about Noah, and it begins like this. First, let's start at the beginning. God created the world to be the most perfect home, with mountains as playgrounds and oceans as swimming pools. Then God made people to be like Him and to live in it. And He wanted us to play with animals and explore jungles and be close to Him forever. It was perfect. But instead, people ran away from God. They hurt each other. They ruined the perfect home God had built for them. The Bible says this made God really, really sad. So sad, in fact, that God decided to wash away all the evil and meanness and cruelty in the world by sending a huge flood to destroy everything, to get rid of all the wrong things and the people who kept doing them. But there was one guy who followed God. That's right, Noah. God had a special rescue planned for Noah. He told Noah to build a big boat called an ark to stay in during the flood. It had to be big enough for Noah's wife and kids and at least two of every kind of animal on earth. So, pretty big. And Noah had to build it in the middle of dry land, which means his neighbors probably thought he was crazy, or at least a little weird. Kids, sometimes following God looks a little weird. We're okay with that. Anyway, looking weird didn't stop Noah. He knew he needed to be rescued. So he finished the ark and waited for God to bring the animals. And God brought them all right. Just imagine what those neighbors thought when they saw an entire zoo strolling through their yards. When Noah's family and all the animals were inside, God shut the door. Then, the Bible says God opened the bottom of the ocean and the windows of the sky. We don't know what that means exactly, but we do know it was tons of water. It rained like this for 40 days and 40 nights. And the rain wasn't the worst of it. Once the water stopped, it didn't go away. Noah and his family sat cooped up, floating in the ark for over a year, just waiting. 
and waiting and waiting. Did we mention they waited? Well, when the tops of the mountains finally started to show, Noah sent out a dove to see if there was dry land. There wasn't. A week later, he sent the dove again. The water was going down. A week later, Noah sent out the dove one last time. It didn't come back, which meant it had found a home. Noah and his family could leave the ark. The very first thing Noah did was build an altar to worship God and thank him for his rescue. And God made a covenant with Noah, which is like a very special promise. God promised never to destroy the earth with a flood, even though he knew humans would keep right on doing wrong things that made him sad. God put a rainbow in the sky to remind Noah that he would definitely keep this promise. And just like God rescued Noah, he would one day send his own perfect son, Jesus, to earth. Jesus would take the punishment of all people. Then God could be close to everyone who wants to follow him. And that's the story of Noah. So, in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God made a perfect home. People ruined it. God was sad. He planned a flood and a rescue. Noah built an ark. Animals came. It rained. Noah waited. Dry land appeared. Noah worshiped God. God made a promise. God sent Jesus to rescue us. And that's a part of God's story. Thank you, Debbie. It's quite a story, isn't it? We've heard it dozens of times. If you're like me, and this is the cynic, the Western mindset, when I'm trying, when I listen to these stories, I'm like, well, when did this happen, and, and how did it happen, and what was the processes, and what about the geologic record? And when we get caught up in that, we might miss what the story is all about. Now, I'm like you, and I tend to get hung up on those details. When I went to preacher college, me and 600 other preachers, we fussed about, was it possible? And how many animals and all those kinds of things. And did they go to sleep? Did they hibernate? Did God do miracles? Blah, blah, blah. And I remember our Old Testament professor who had to deal with all these know-it-all preachers. He would get so mad at us. He goes, you're missing the point. We thought the point was the story. It wasn't the truth at all. I mean, the story was true, yes. But that really wasn't what God wanted us to focus upon. So today we're in this next group of series and sermons. We're going to talk about these stories and things. But we're going to talk about more than just the story. The focus of all these stories is that God uses people. Now, God can do all things by himself. But he chooses to use us for all sorts of reasons. Have you ever known anyone who's in a, a group and things need to be done and this person takes it upon himself or herself to do everything by themselves? And you're just watching. And they do all this stuff and they never ask for help. And they don't really want anybody's help because no one can do it to suit them. Ever seen that? God was the other guy. God was like this. I need this done. Everybody come and help. So when God wants something done, he calls his people. You. Whether you're a deacon or have a title or not. Whether you're perfect or adult or child or not, God calls you. If you follow Jesus as Savior, he wants you in to help. And that is the story of Noah. Big story. 
Interestingly enough, this story of a universal flood is common in almost all ancient cultures. Every culture had this story. Details were different. In Moses' day, and you remember, Moses wrote this story. And Moses was about 1250 to 1300 BC. So there was a whole lot of history before him. And this story was called the Enume Elish in Babylonian culture. And it was a similar story of the deity destroying the earth for all sorts of reasons and then using different ways of saving people. And this had come down thousands of years before Moses. Now you can say that Moses stole their story. I prefer to think that there is a story in history that is true. And people passed it down. And Moses put it into a form that made sense. And put it in a form that wasn't messed up on, with all sorts of crazy things. But Moses told the story that created an image of God that people could understand and relate to. And he told them, this is how God did things. And took that story that they knew. Because they had already heard this story. And they were asking, Moses... What about this flood story we've heard? What about all these other stories? And Moses said, okay, this is what I think. And God revealed to him the story that we're talking about today. God uses people. God wants to lead everyone to follow him. And God can do the miraculous to change everything because of that. So first of all, we're going to talk about Noah the man on screen. We get that idea up there. And this is who we're going to talk about, Noah. So follow along with me if you would. Genesis chapter 6. I'll read verses 11 through 14 and 17 through 22. Beginning of verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth and behold it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Moah, The end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Drop down to verse 17, please. And behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground and after its kind, two of every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. And as for you, take for yourself some of food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. So you know creation story, we've talked about that. God created perfection. Don't know when. You know, some people have tried to date it. Some people have tried to impose our Western scientific test on all these things. I was having this conversation with my daughter, who is pushing 40, and... You may not understand how this comes across to a preacher father. And my daughter has just started doing some Bible studies on her own, using some online materials. She is asking about those. She goes, Daddy, did you know this? And she's telling me about the Noah story. And the creator. I said, 
Well, yes, I do. She goes, I've never heard this before. And all of a sudden, I realized that somehow I had failed because for 18 years, I had her in my church, and she learned almost nothing from me. And I'm not sure how that happened. Probably my wife said, well, you just didn't know what your kids were doing during the sermon. That's why you don't know anything. And so evidently, there was a whole party going on in those pews that I wasn't aware of because my daughter learned nothing from me, which is okay. I guess it's the way it is. So I never assume that people are listening to my sermons. So when I say something that I think is important, and I see your eyes glazed over, I realize they may not be there. And so I get that. So if you ever tell me, Kevin, I heard you say this, and you say it correctly, I thought, well, good. However, I have had people say, well, Kevin, you said this. And I thought, no, I didn't. But if you say something good, that's okay. So anyway, that's another story. So my daughter and I were having this conversation yesterday. And she said, no, Daddy, these stories like Noah and the Ark and the creation, do you really believe that? I said, well, yes, I do. I mean, really? Like, it's scientifically accurate? I said, well, yeah. She goes, really? I said, yeah, I take it at face value. And the reason I say at face value was, you read the story, God did the miraculous, and God brought a given result. And I, I accept that. That doesn't mean I have all the answers. It doesn't mean I know the timeline. It doesn't mean I understand all that happened or occurred. But it means I read this story, I go, okay. Now that doesn't satisfy everybody. You can pick apart every story everywhere and make it mean nothing. Or you can just accept the fact that this is a story of the way God worked with people and he changed everything. So that's how this preacher looks at things. And I do get more in-depth sometimes, but I, I try not to kill myself anymore with trying to figure out all the dates and all the time. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. But to take it at face value. God did something wonderful. He used Noah and his sons to do something wonderful. And it changed the world. So that's where we are, okay? So on screen is this idea. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. This is one of the key meanings of this story. So if you go home today and you're thinking football and you're thinking food and you're thinking barbecue or whatever, I hope you get this one truth. God used Noah because God was obedient. He wasn't perfect. But when God called him, said, Noah, this is what I want you to do. Noah rose to the occasion. Probably the most significant part of the story. God uses people who follow him. So think about that. Noah wasn't perfect. Now he was the one man that was righteous. He was the man of faith on the planet. That's the way it was. And God used him. Doesn't say he was perfect. In fact, if you remember the rest of the story, he later, after the flood was over, they started growing grapes, making wine. He got drunk, and his family found him naked on the ground. And, you know, so he, was, he had his own problems. So he wasn't perfect. But God used him anyway. God commanded him. So we did. Key point. Okay, so on screen, this next screen, is some things you might want to be here about. I remember when I went to school and I heard this material, I had never heard it before. It never occurred to me to think this way. But there is a whole school of scholarship that sees these dramatic similarities between the ministry of Noah and the ministry of Jesus. So we can look at these just real quickly. Noah was called by God. An individual in his own right, God called Noah. 
Noah said, okay. So, in eternity, before everything began, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God says, we have messed up. These people are messed up. We've got to do something finally. And God looks to Jesus, and this is all in the spirit realm. He says, Jesus, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go. Go as a baby. Take that chance. You're going to have a chance to sin if you want. It's going to be hard. And you're going to die. And Jesus said, okay. And I don't know what that sounded like. But somehow the deity had this communication. And Jesus said yes. The Bible says that Jesus was obedient unto death. Noah was obedient, as we talked about. And so was Jesus. Jesus, when he came, was doing exactly as God wanted him to do. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine, he prayed in the garden, remember? So he was following God's leadership. He was God himself, but he was separate too. Remember the Trinity, it was three people, three deities, one deity, three different characters. We don't know how, even how to say it. One God, three manifestations, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jesus, God the Son, was obedient. Noah ignored critics. Decades it took him to build the ark. You can imagine how stupid people thought Noah was. As far as we know, it had never flooded, maybe not even rained. We don't really know. And even if it did, they were nowhere near water. Why would he build a big ark? Well, because he's crazy. He's a religious fanatic. He must be a member of some cult. Who knew? He's probably smoking something, right? I mean, that's the way people think when Christians do dramatic actions of faith. Noah just said, you know, this is what God wanted me to do. And you know how people respond to that. And they did that for decades. And then, like the video said, the people thought, oh my gosh, what's going on when the zoos, zoos started marching through their neighborhoods going to the ark. We're not real sure of how all this worked. Scholars fuss. Some deny. Some try to make explanations. We just don't know for sure. Started to rain. The animals made it to the ark. Noah and his crew got on the boat and God placed the door and shut it. And they ignored everybody. Sometimes you have to do that. It's really hard because there are people in our lives that we trust. And sometimes they don't know where we are with God. And they may not sense that we're following God. Pay attention to what they say. Gain counsel. But still, ultimately, it's between you and God. When God calls you to do something, that's between you and Him. I can't determine whether it's valid or not. Now, God won't lead you to do anything that is against the teachings of Scripture. So keep that in mind. But God called Noah to build a big old boat. Didn't make any sense at all. And it was the right thing to do. Jesus ignored the critics too. The disciples said, remember, Jesus said, okay, we need to go to the Passover. Jesus, are you crazy? They're going to kill you. And I think he knew that. 
He ignored his critics. Noah, after the flood, the ark, he built, as far as we know, the first altar. It's not that people didn't worship God in the past, but this is the first time an altar is mentioned. So he built an altar and he worshiped God. He began the practice of man stopping everything and honoring the God whom he follows. And of course, that's what Jesus did. Jesus' death on a cross was a sacrifice to God for our benefit. See the similarities? Moses gave up his normal life. And so did Jesus. Jesus could have been just another good guy working at the cabinet shop, having a good life with a pretty wife and little babies and all those things. But Jesus gave up all of those for his ministry. And of course, he gave up his life on the cross. And Noah was called the, is called the second father of mankind because after the ark was done and they were off, he was told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Just like the first Adam. See, he was a second father. This, get this thing going again, Noah. We need babies. Lots of them. So it's your turn. And Noah took that seriously, as did his family. And here we are. Jesus is called the second Adam. Remember the story of the first Adam from the garden is first man, first woman, and God intended for them to live in relationship with him. That was a plan. And they messed that up with their choice of sin. So Jesus was the second Adam. He was the one who started all over. And he came and lived the way we were supposed to live. Normal guy, normal job, without sin. Absolutely obedient to God. So Paul called him. In some translations, it's second Adam. In some, it's the perfect Adam. In other ways, but it's always the same Jesus is the man who got it right. So if you wonder what kind of life God wanted us to live, look at Jesus. Normal guy. Lived with people, related to people, loved people, helped people when he could. Understood from a godly perspective the way things work. And when God calls you to service, do that. Follow him. So these are just some of the things that we see about Noah he was a forerunner of Jesus. You can look at Noah's life and get an idea of what Messiah was going to be like. And that's a New Testament perspective on an Old Testament story, by the way. So what we're going to do now, move on from Noah the man to Noah the experience. And this is going to be the pattern for these sermons for the next several weeks. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 24 now. Matthew chapter 24. I'll read verses 35 to 39. Jesus talking. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, and until the day that Noah entered the ark... And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. 
So isn't it interesting, Jesus talking about his return and the end of the earth and all those things, and people were talking about this stuff. And the reason they were talking about it was because they were desperate and miserable under Roman oppression. I mean, you and I cannot even imagine what it's like. Think about how the Palestinians were living under the rule of Hamas. And we know that, right? We know what it was like, sort of. That was like the people had lived under Roman rule all their lives, all the lives of their parents, all the lives of their grandparents. It had been that way for at least 200 years. 80% taxation, Roman guards literally everywhere. And sudden death if you crossed the wrong guy. So the Jewish people were so desperate that they clung to these Old Testament passages which talked about Messiah. And so they began this understanding that somehow God was working and in these old stories is an image of what was going on. And so Jesus, talking to those people who were desperate for the coming of the Son of Man, his second coming, that he brought up the story of Noah. And just like the floods came and swept everybody away and it was a complete surprise because no one would listen to God in those days, so too would Jesus return. But the point here is that Jesus used the story of Noah that everybody knew. Every Jewish person in life had grown up hearing this story over and over and over because it was a story of God destroying the evil oppressors. It was a story of God destroying evil and of punishing the world and of bringing justice and a story of God saving his people. So they clung to that story. So Jesus brought that story up. He made it a story not just about Noah and God, but he made it a story about the way God worked through Messiah, didn't he? Look at verse 42. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. He wanted them to understand that. Not a date. He said, just, just be faithful. If you give a date... It seems to help emotionally, but when the date comes and goes, you are crushed. So Jesus said, forget about dates. You don't know. And by the way, when preachers set dates, they're dumb. Because they're ignoring God's word. Several passages in the New Testament say, you don't, you can't know. So when someone sets a date, ignore them. They can say, it's a crucial age, yes. They can say, the days seem like the days of the end, yes. But when they start setting dates, just walk away. Because God hasn't given them a certain word. God will not tell people what Jesus has predicted you would not know. So keeping that in mind. I said earlier that people saw Noah somewhat as a forerunner of Jesus. And Peter used that understanding too. And then Peter did something here. In chapter 3 of 1 Peter. He used the story of Noah to tie in the concept of baptism. And so, they were trying to teach this story of baptism. And baptism, of course, isn't a saving act, but it is an act of obedience because of salvation, right? And Paul explained that very clear. And so, what Jesus did, and Peter did, and Paul did, they began to talk about the waters of Noah, like we talk about the waters of baptism, as a sign of God's power over sin. 
as a sign of people's obedience to God against the evils of this world. As a sign, and when you see the waters, you see this sign of God cleansing humanity and bringing about justice. So in the early church, this was all tied together. Now we've kind of separated those things. But in the early church, it was all tied together because they understood that these Old Testament stories, they show us how God's working. And we don't understand everything, but we can become convinced that God is in control, that God is bigger than the Roman oppressor, and that we can trust him to take care of things. He took care of things back then. Look what he did. The bad guys died, and the good guys lived. That is a theme of oppressed people. The bad guy dies, and the good guy wins. Tammy and I watch cheap movies. I, I buy cheap movies from the $5 bin at Walmart. Now, I do that because where we live, we can't get anything. And no internet or anything like that. So we buy cheap movies. And I only buy good movies. And by good movies, I mean, guess what I want? I want the bad guy to die. And the good guy to kill him. Doesn't matter the form. Doesn't matter how gory. It doesn't matter. I mean, they're just movies. But I, I, I just despise those movies where the good guy is a bad guy. You know what I'm talking about? I, mean, I don't like those movies. I don't like the good guy to be a bad guy because I feel like I'm cheering on a bad guy. And which is that what you're doing? And I know reality, the good guys are bad guys sometimes. I get it. But that's not what I want to watch on a movie. I want good guys to win and bad guys to die. So, I'm not that different from everybody else, surprise. These stories always show the same. God destroying evil and bringing justice. So there are a lot of great lessons in this story. On screen, we're going to look for some of those. The first lesson, God judges sin for the cause of justice, but also offers grace and mercy. So here's a big news flash. God hates evil and he will destroy and punish evil for the cause of justice. It's not vengeance, it's justice. You and I understand the need for justice. When our court system lets bad guys out for some reason, it makes us mad. It disappoints us. Politicians promise law and order because we understand the need for justice. It's not some hokum. It's something we need. We need to know that bad guys will be punished. Yes, that is a universal human need. And we get that because we are created in the image of God. So God's actions punish evil. That's what the Noah story begins with, isn't it? God saw humanity and everything they did was violent and evil. And it was a cry for justice. So God does this and this is the pattern, God punishing evil. But in the middle of this story, there was the ark where God didn't want to destroy humanity completely. So the ark was built. God found his man and in mercy he let Noah and the family live and start over. And isn't that the story of the cross? We're all sinners. Worthy of hell. So says scripture. We don't like it, but it's the fact. And God punishes evil. But he gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He gives us a chance for salvation. The worst sinner you will ever know if he turns to Jesus, we'll be saved. And we don't always like to hear that. Like I said, I want the bad guy to get his. But guess what? On the cross, 
Jesus took his and the evil can be saved. The next thing on screen, another great lesson. God can act through miracles and through the forces of nature to do his will. God could have just snapped his fingers and had all the bad guys die. But instead he chose to use the forces of nature. Now you've read about the shifting of tectonic plates, right? How the continents used to be one big place called Pangaea, and then they separated, and there were dramatic upheavals. And you've read enough to know that on the tops of mountains, there are uh, fossilized remnants of sea animals and those kinds of things, and all that stuff. And in the bottoms of the oceans, there are uh, fossilized remains of trees and things like that. I found a picture on the internet just a few months ago. I showed Terry this. And it's of some coal miners in 1921. And they had a crude camera. And they were several hundred feet down in the dirt underneath the face of the planet. And they had a coal lantern and they were able to take a, a camera picture. They had an old camera there. And they took a picture of a tree trunk. It was almost 600 feet underneath the ground. How in the world did they move that? Well, they didn't. They found it there. Because, see, because of the, the upheavals of the continents, at one time, what was underneath the ground was above the ground and things like that. And we know the archaeological record shows that. And we know that there are vast oceans of water underneath the surface, right? And we know that there's water everywhere. And we know that the planet, that the... Uh, Mountains were pushed up when the tectonic plates moved. We understand all that. You've seen that when you drive down along the road. I've been reading this book on the Chronicles of Lewis and Clark, and they talked about how they would find these vast seams of coal above the ground. And they even then understood this. And there would be vast areas of the continent that were burning because the coal was burning by lightning fire or something like that. So anyway, for centuries we've known about this tectonic plate movement. So, when I read a story where the heavens opened up and the bottoms opened up and water came up from the earth and all those kinds of things, I don't get too shook about it. I'm no scientist and I don't have to be. What Genesis describes is well within the possibility of natural forces, isn't it? Now, I, the date thing I don't get, I don't worry about it. God could have just done a big miracle. But instead, he chose to use forces that we know are there to bring about his will. So think about that. Next screen, please. God calls his people to sacrificial service to further his kingdom. It was not easy for Noah to do this. It was, it was terrible. Hard work for decades. Rebellious sons who daddy had to keep after him. You know how sons are. Dad, are you sure? Yes. Keep going. Are we there yet? No. Keep going. And you can imagine the conversations for decades. And it was hard. Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Okay. This is what God does with us. He calls us to do things. He calls us to give offerings when we've got other things to do with our money. He calls us to give time in our service when we've got other things we'd like to do. He calls us to minister to people when we really don't want to. It's not all about you and your convenience. It's what God wants and needs, needs us to do. He gives you an opportunity for service. So step up. One other thing, the next screen please. 
God offers a covenant relationship to those that will follow him. This is the rainbow story. Now, this is the way scientists and scholars say this could be a possibility. That before the flood, that there was just heavy cloud cover everywhere. Think Seattle or London, right? And there's a heavy cloud cover and almost never a sunny day. And if there's never a sunny day, of course, there's no rainbow. But then after the flood, things change geologically. And the floods receded. The clouds parted. And sun hit the water. Again, it's not necessarily miraculous. But isn't it amazing that it happened then? And again, I don't understand it all in the timing. But I read the story and I think, well, God could do that. He can make it rain. I mean, we pray for rain when we need rain. We pray for a cessation of rain when it's flooding. We pray for sunny days, right? Then we believe that God can do this stuff. So really, what went on in the story is what we expect God to do anyway. And he offers covenants, which means he makes a covenant with us where he makes commitments to us. Follow me and I will work with you and bless you. And all you got to do is say yes. And that is the whole salvation story. On screen is his final idea. God uses people to do great and wonderful things for his kingdom. So, the call to faith is, trust the God who does big things. And when you sense that he's calling you to something, step up. Check it out with scripture. Check it out with what people would say. Come and talk to me or your Sunday school teacher or something like that. Check it out. But if you get this conviction, this gnawing thing in your gut that God wants you to do something, say yes and then see what happens. You don't always know how it's going to be. Good or bad, hard or easy. But it's always the best thing because God is there. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of closing invitation. It's a chance for you to respond to God. If there's something you feel God wants you to do and you want to make that public, you can if you'd come forward. But regardless of that, just make that decision to follow Jesus and follow God's leadership. It is always the very best thing you can do. Would you stand with me, please? Let's sing together. Just as I am without one plea, but I blood was shed for me, and thou bidst me come to going to come and lead us in closing prayer. I have to say this. Go Chiefs! Right? Okay, come on. <laughs> Father, as we go about our week, lead us to trust in you with all our hearts and to seek your will in all we do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.